Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Welcome back to our study of the Gospel according to Matthew. In this episode, we will continue looking at crucifixion, as uh, specifically as it's described in Matthew 27, verses 27 to 49. In our last session, we considered some historical details concerning the Roman practice of crucifixion and gave a brief sketch of what that probably looked like. Again, crucifixion was a frequent phenomenon, and the brevity with which the different Gospels describe these events is best explained by the shared common knowledge between the Gospel writers and the readers. They didn't need to go into all the gory details. Everybody knew it. We explored very briefly the excruciating pain associated with crucifixion, but also noted that the other major element in crucifixion is the shame associated with it. And this may also explain the brevity of the gospel's details concerning the pain. Now, we don't live in an honor-shame culture quite like the way they did, so this may be hard for some of us to grasp. But honor is incredibly important to maintain in some cultures today, and even today, shame is a horror in some cultures to be avoided at almost any cost. Uh, Now, such was the culture in which uh, the events of our narrative occurred. One of the more interesting examples of this from the Old Testament is when David sends messengers to Hanan, who suspects they are spies. Hanan then shaves half of their beards off and cuts their garments from the hip down. David sends word for them to wait until their beards grow back, and he presumably gets them a new set of clothes also, or maybe they mend the old ones. But this act of disgrace is uh, so hideous that it starts a war in which thousands of people die. So, in an honor-shame culture like this, the lack of details regarding the painful components of crucifixion may be explained by the desire to focus on the tragedy of humiliation. In fact, the text before us can be broken up into three sections surrounding this theme. We have first, the mockery from the soldiers in verses 27 to 31, the mockery from crucifixion itself in verses 32 to 38, And then lastly, the mockery from the onlookers in verses 39 to 49. So keep your eye out for this theme of mockery and humiliation as I read the text starting in verse 27 of chapter 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him, and took the reed, and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, and put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means a place of the skull, They offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. 
Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling for Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and putting it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Flogging often occurred before crucifixion, and that was described in verse 26. It was done with a multi-lashed whip with pieces of bone or metal attached and was severe enough that it was not unknown for people to die due to these vicious beatings. Now, the synoptics have it as the prelude to the crucifixion. Uh, John has a somewhat different spin. He portrays it as one last attempt by Pilate to release Jesus, punishing him and disgracing him, but yet without killing him. However, this plan of his backfires as the crowd continues to shout for Jesus' crucifixion. Matthew's telling of the event has the uh, masculine singular participle having scourged with Pilate as the subject. But this doesn't mean that Pilate himself held the whip, but that it was carried out by the agency of these soldiers. The soldiers uh, then take us to the scene of the governor's headquarters or the praetorium. This is Pilate's place of residence, though scholars differ as to if this refers to the palace of Herod or the fortress of Antonia in the northwest portion of the temple area. The Greek word behind the ESV's battalion is spera, from the Latin cohort. This is a tenth of a Roman legion, so we're thinking of a group of about 600 men. Thus, the whole scene here is fully Roman. Now, Matthew has laid it on pretty thick that the Jewish religious leaders are corrupt and the cause of Jesus' execution. Pilate has come across as a bit of a puppet. Although he tries to resist being manipulated, eventually his hand is forced. But in this scene, we see the cruelty of the Romans, which prevents us from thinking simplistically that the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem alone were the bad guys and the Romans somehow get off the hook. We saw earlier that the reason the Jewish leaders convict Jesus of blasphemy uh, is that he claimed to be the Son of God, in fact, the divine Son of Man who sits with God in heaven. But this would have not had much of an effect on the Romans. Instead, uh, they are people cued into the importance of power and so mock Jesus as the King of the Jews, whose vesture is only uh, sadistically used for his torture a crown of thorns and a scepter reed with which he is struck in the head. Now, the crown of thorns would have been painful, uh, though some later depictions of this scene have probably exaggerated the length of these thorns. It's been suggested that the intent was 
to mimic the crown uh, seen on many Roman coins in which the emperor wears a crown with rays like the sun coming out of his crown. The mockery aspect would thus emphasize the thorns going outward and the pain element would come from the inevitable thorns that went inward, especially as they beat him over the head. The fact that we are told that the robe is taken off of Jesus, but no word is mentioned about the crown, may suggest that he continues to wear it throughout his entire crucifixion. Their claim, Hail, King of the Jews, mimics the emperor greeting, Ave, Caesar, the striking and spitting heap on degradation. And this also echoes with the Jewish trial. Uh, Remember when they hit him and spit him, showing how the uh, so-called holy men of God are really no better than this Roman cohort. The next scene focuses on mockery again, but this time due to features that belong to crucifixion itself. It was common for the victim to be forced to carry his cross, but the reference here is to the patibulum, the horizontal cross beam laid across the shoulders. Jesus, weary from the severe beating he has just received, is unable to carry this patibulum. Now, the fact that we are given the specific name, Simon of Cyrene, has suggested to some that this may have been a person well-known to early Christianity. R.T. France has another suggestion, which I think is at least as likely, if not more likely. He comments, quote, Jesus' known disciples, whom he had earlier told to be ready to carry their own cross after him, were nowhere to be seen. And now that the moment for literal obedience to that demand had come, the reader might especially notice the need for a new Simon to take the place of the Simon who had so loudly protested his loyalty in 26, 33, and 35, end quote. Now, this reading, if correct, would contribute to the theme of humiliation. In his darkest and most desperate hour, all friends are absent, and the Simon who helps him is not his right-hand man, Simon Peter, who vowed to never forsake Jesus, but a stranger, Simon of Cyrene. The place of crucifixion is ominous and foreboding. It is of a piece with the phenomenon of the darkness descending over the whole land later. The idea is that the powers of evil are seemingly prevailing. And I think of the words of Jesus recorded in Luke in uh, his account of the arrest scene when Jesus says, When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. The wine mixed with gall or bile has been variously understood. It may also simply be something like dry wine to dull the senses. Uh, If that's the case, then we have here the last positive action by Jesus in the whole scene, refusing to dull his senses so he can drink the cup the Father has given him. However, it would be strange to imagine the soldiers having a change of heart and now wanting to offer Jesus mercy. Instead, given the predominance of the humiliation motif, it's more likely that we're thinking about spoiled wine given in mockery, which would make sense of why they offered it to him, but Jesus refuses to play along. Now, uh, the titulus, uh, the, the accusation against him, describes Jesus as the king of the Jews. This was a common practice so that the execution served as a warning to onlookers. And yet it strangely and ironically uh, in the superintendence of God and his sovereignty points out who Jesus actually is. Uh, readers of Matthew might 
be expected to remember the last time that Jesus is called the King of the Jews in Matthew chapter 2, in which the Magi come and worship the true King. Here we have the King on the cross. In light of how Jesus has affirmed his identity as the Messiah, but nuanced it so as to include the element of suffering, there's surely meant to be something more significant here than just simple mockery. He is the king, but he is the suffering king. This is the kind of king that Jesus is. In fact, the mention of one on his right hand and one on his left may allude back to James and John's request, which we looked at earlier. The Greek is uh, very similar. They wanted to be at the right hand and left hand of Jesus, but their scene there is the throne room of glory. But here we have quite a different throne room. They, uh, James and John, that is, are nowhere to be seen. Peter is nowhere to be seen. Jesus instead is hung up between two criminals. This is Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. Um, His true identity as the Messiah exists not just in spite of his suffering and shame on the cross, but also strangely because of it as well. It's incredible to think about how this cross has become a symbol of Christianity throughout time. We miss something if we only think of it in silver or gold or decorating churches as if it's something beautiful. On the one hand, the cross is something ugly, an instrument of torture and humiliation. And yet, the cross has endured the symbol of Christianity because it also tells us of who Jesus really is and the way that he has received this authority and this power. It tells us that the the pattern is always first suffering and then glory. As we think about the cross, we think about the way that Jesus had to die in order to then enter into his glory and the path that Jesus lays down for the rest of his followers. This also is what we should expect if we have signed up in following the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.